Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. joining us again today. You know that uh, who those of you who listen with any regularity, you can visit us at our website at www.abetterworld.tv, and uh, many of you are receiving the A Better World newsletter, which goes out once a week and announces the shows that we have on, both radio and television, here out of uh, beautiful New York City. And what a week it has been here in New York City, visited by Hurricane Sandy. We have not been alone here in the Big Apple, that's for sure. But Sandy has come and taken a big bite out of it. And uh, yet it's been awesome to watch the kind of community building that has been going on in neighborhoods and streets all over the five boroughs of New York City. It would make anyone proud to be a human, to see the kinds of activities that have been going on here in our beautiful city. And uh, interestingly, today our show is going to be focusing on the subject of Breakthrough Energy and the particular Breakthrough Energy Conference that is due to occur this coming weekend in Hilversum, Holland in the Netherlands, just outside of Amsterdam, and we have joining us today, and this will be the theme of the show, the Breakthrough Energy Conference, Fernando Vossa and David William Gibbons will be joining us today for the full hour, talking about their contribution to this whole notion of breakthrough energy and what it means for us. There are technologies that are happening serving our, I like to call it, outer ecology, as well as our inner ecology. And both these gentlemen who are guests today will be speakers at this conference. So it's uh, really a pleasure and an honor to have them both on. We'll be starting with Fernando, and then when David is able to join us a little ways down the, the line, he will be doing so. As you know also who listen with any regularity, a better world is all about just that, creating a better world for one and for all. It's really about all sentient life here on this beautiful planet and how we can make connections with each other and with any dimension possible to 
further the action to advance and evolve our human life and potential. And I know those are big, fancy words. It's true. But in general, that really is what it is. And we do focus on the domains of healing, on the environment, on green technology, on ideas of sustainability, and how to build community on a much more life-affirming, love-affirming kind of platform basis, template, than what we have had to date, as we know historically, over the centuries on our planet. It's largely been a world based on anger, on fear, on domination and conquest. That's not the way to run an evolved human society. And our guests today on the show, as well as other speakers at the conference, will be addressing how to create a better world. So I'm thrilled to be part of this conference and to have our guests on today as we do, because I am the MC of the conference and a co-moderator of the panel with my dear friend and colleague, Sasha Stone. And uh, we really look forward to having any of you listeners who can possibly make it, whether you're now in the United States or you're abroad, to come into this conference. It's uh, a kind of conference that people are traveling far and wide to get to because of its powerful implications. So let us begin with Fernando Vasa, who is just a really sweet gentleman. I've had the pleasure of getting to know um, and I hope to get to know him a lot better. Fernando has a very rich background. It's, he's a specialist in energy research, healing technologies, and cosmic awareness, just to name a few. He's been designing technology for over 18 years, and his approach is to reach the psyche and heart of audiences using multidisciplinary techniques from industrial design, cognitive psychology, virtual reality, cinematography, architecture, graphic design, and fine art. Fernando has also been involved in the design teams for major companies in designing the brands for Microsoft, Sony, U.S. West, GE Aerospace, and most recently unfolding the innovative installation, which is called the Center of Mass Creation. His background is far and wide computer science, cognitive science, technology design, and all from University of Washington. So it's with great pleasure that I invite uh, Fernando on to the show today. Are you there, Fernando? Mitchell, thank you so much for having me on Better World Radio. Am I coming in okay? Absolutely, you are, you are. If you are you in Netherlands right now? I am calling in from Skype on Netherlands. Yes, Holland time. Excellent, excellent. I would uh, I thank you so much for staying up into the wee hours for us on a better world for that. I truly appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I'm a night owl, so ah. this is my best creative oh. time. Excellent. That's much better. Your voice quality came off way more clearly just that moment. So. Let's go with that, okay? Okay. Uh, we're ready to go. I, I wanted to share yeah. that we are living in the age of awakening. So we are playing with some new rules here. And what we you're are. sharing about the conference is 
we're stepping into a new level of research that's going to go blending consciousness with scientific principles. So we're really exactly. going to be I would like the to, the Fernando, ask you at the outset, if I may, uh, because I outlined a little bit of what we're going to be touching upon in the conference. What is it that interested you in it and uh, attracted you, inspired you in the first place? I was contacted by the Global Band team because I had been posting a series of talks and, and workshops. Fans, everyone, for Breakthrough Energy Movement. Yeah, please go on. You got it. Uh, I had been experimenting with technology to build prototypes of conscious design energy, which means that going from the idea of creating electricity to tapping into universal energy, which to me is like universal intelligence, at the yes. heart of creation is this life force that permeates every aspect of our universe. I wanted to play with that and see how we can transform our, our physical bodies, how do we expand the size of our brain ideas that we can hold healing and peace and abundance as a frequency. And yeah. then how can we apply that to technology, to machines that would create energy to power our lives? So I've kind of put all of that together into my approach. Now, would you um, say that the work of uh, some of our antecedents, such as Nikolai Tesla or Royal Remington Rife, would fit into, it's funny to say, fit into a category, they invented categories, uh, but the notion of harnessing universal energy and intelligence and harnessing it through some kind of technology? I think the, the work that Tesla and some other giants have, have done goes way beyond what we recognize as scientific research. For example, mm -hmm. uh, Tesla's work on quantum tunneling or quantum access, which we would see as, as time travel, uh, one of many of his technologies, including a timestamp device that would allow us to reset our bodies back into our current time zone, the one we were actually incarnated in. Uh, and that's just one of several other things that Tesla was working on, which are now sequestered notes. Just to give you yeah. an idea of what was happening, you know, in his time frame. Who was thinking of timestamp technology for time-traveling bodies, right? Yes. Yeah. What, uh, I mean, what also it's something that parents. people has people have been fantasizing about that, Fernando, forever, you know, and to think that a technology could actually be developed that would uh, bring that about. So would you say in some way you are actually um, taking uh, your own steps in I'm, – I'm fascinated by that phrase, conscious design of technology. I'd really love to know more about what you mean. When we have a clear intention in our mind of the direction of, of where we want our technology to go, so if I'm a scientist in my research lab or I'm an artist creating a painting or any creative endeavor, that frequency that we hold as the intention sets a whole pattern of changes at the atomic level of matter, which means that we can't get away from our thoughts affecting our technology or our creations. So when we do conscious design, we are very clear on what the use of our technology is going to be. 
So we can't go into building weapons without knowing that that intention to kill other humans, the intention to destroy, permeates every aspect of, of the technology, the, the metal, the fields of magnetics, the explosives, everything permeates with that intention. You can't get away from yeah. that. So we yeah. can't be in it and say, oh, I work for an aerospace company, and I know they make weapons, but I'm generally a peaceful person. That your actions don't express that. Yep. Exactly. So no, that's have very that, that, that powerful point. Yeah. When we have that disconnection between our, our intention of creating weapons for people who work in aerospace or those fields, uh, and a, a separation thinking, well, I'm still a positive contributor to humanity, it, it, it's time to bring those two together. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. One of the things, of course, it brings to mind that uh, perhaps most people aren't aware of consciously, but I would say intuitively, is this notion we have in quantum physics of the butterfly effect, that Everything is affecting everything. As they say, a butterfly uh, flapping its wings in Tokyo is affecting the outcome of a business deal being made in New York City. And it may seem very minuscule, but the thought that the universe is this incredible orchestration of movement, of motion, of energy, and everything is, in fact, infecting everything... So as you're putting it very well, the effect of an intention is affecting the actual metal, in this case of a missile. Um, so it's very real, and it, it really invites us, begs us, to pay very close attention to what it is we think and what it is we intend, because it's going to be taking its wings, if you will, in the world. That's true. And there's another extension to that. What would it be like to have a science of manifestation? We we would move beyond the aspect of creating external technology, and and we would step into a time where we teach our, our kids how to accelerate their manifestation, how to hold coherent ideas in their mind uninterrupted, and then how to take action on the physical manifestation of their desires. So we have to step away from a fear and concern that things would just go amok and crazy if everybody could manifest everything they wanted. It's like you have an inherent fear of complete freedom of creation. Absolutely, absolutely. So now are you telling me that you have designed... You're you're such an interesting man with a very background. (laughs) On one hand... I so look forward to our meeting. On one hand, you've done a lot of work with um, the use of energy and frequency for healing, uh, let's say the human body and heart, and uh, perhaps even the soul. We'll get to that in a moment. And on the other hand, you're very interested in dealing with the, the planetary issues of energy use, renewable energy and the like. So can you talk about both of these? Sure, of course. Uh, I, I have the privilege to have what I consider a abundance of conscious creativity. Uh, there is no distinction for me of any field in human endeavors. That means that when I study 
aspects of physics or I get into uh, research in extraterrestrial life or healing, to me it's all the same awareness. It's, it comes from the same source. So mm-hmm. it's easy for me to correlate all the different disciplines. When I am developing prototypes of healing technology, healing tools, I see the correlation between that and wanting to generate abundant energy of tapping into the Earth's own consciousness field of intelligence. It's the same uh-huh. process for me in wanting to explore the universe and traveling yeah. and holding space. It seems like there's some common elements for me that are so obvious. So I want to bring those to the so, forefront yeah. for others to explore. Your, your, you could say your concentration, your focus, your specialty is really on the conscious creative process itself is what I hear. Yes, the palette for artists, universal artists, is infinite. Our palette yeah. involves everything from acrylic paint to electrons to photons to thought to structuring entire galaxies. And the scale is irrelevant. And that's being made available so to you, us more and more. Give us a little insight into what you'll be speaking then about at the conference because we actually do want to uh, engage people um, in this show, in these interviews today, uh, to consider attending the Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference taking place in Hilversum. In fact, why don't I give the uh, website so any listener can go and uh, knock on that door. It's Global BEM, which stands for, as we said before, Breakthrough Energy Movement. So it's Global G-L-O-B-A-L, and then B-E-M dot com. And there you will see all the information needed for attending, and you can see the list of uh, speakers and events and um, panels and the like. It's going to be a very rich experience. So that's globalbem.com. And as I said, Fernando Vato, who is our guest today for the first part of the show, uh, is one of the speakers. So give us a glimpse if you would. I'm, I'm very interested. You know, Mitchell, uh, my talk falls in the program right at the very center. It's a three-day program, and I am on the second day right in the middle. And I consider yeah. my talk kind of like the 2012 shift of the conversation. Uh, the, uh-huh. the title of my talk is The Art and Science of Conscious Creation. And the uh, approach is what would it be like to have a discipline a complete unification of science and art and spirituality. What would the math and physics of that look like? And how could we have tools that we can use in our everyday work in wanting to tap into free energy or to heal the human body? Uh, So I fantasized if I attended a, a class at a university and there was a program on conscious creation, what would that curriculum be? So that's exactly what I'm going to lay out. That's That's exciting. Yeah. So in a sense, you are really asking people to reach inside themselves. And correct me if I'm not getting it. You're on it for for sure. Harness harness their own creative energy, their, their source. And from that space, that, that unique dimension, bring forth, what might be the fulfillment of their human potential. 
Yes, and, and part of that begins with the full faith and belief that all these parapsychology and metaphysical, all these traditions yeah. and new age thinking, it's real at, 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 a, at yeah. a big level. What would it be like if you stepped into work Monday morning and you already knew that thoughts created matter? If you could yeah. move forward with your actions knowing that you're fully surrounded by universal intelligence and molecules are gathering themselves in fields <laughs> to deflect yeah. what's inside of you continuously. If, if the universe was only at an arm's length, like in a sphere, and you're creating this construct continually, what if we knew that inherently every single moment? What would we do with, with that knowledge? So that's, that's part of what I practice. I don't have to yeah. explore yeah. Any, any kind of science to know that my emotions are charging my thoughts, which then are reflected in physical reality. It's a given for me, exactly. Exactly. You were well, you were an advanced being, Fernando. So uh, that's for the case. But listen, I'm, you know, an image comes to me as you say these words. But I'm familiar with this image for lots of reasons, which is that when we do align our thoughts and our intentions, and then fire them up, as you so well put it, with our emotions. You could say with our passion our love of life and our love of creation, it's almost like I see iron filings on the top of the table and a magnet, and they're all scattered everywhere, and then there's a magnet put underneath the table, and all of the iron filings go from a totally incoherent arrangement to a totally aligned pattern. And that becomes the force field and the energy inside that intention and those thoughts that begin to spill into our material existence, our material manifestation. Oh, that's such a great lead-in. And I'll give you an idea of how far this goes. Let's just say that I am a scientist working in my garage to develop a free energy device, a breakthrough energy technology. And part of the, the traditional intuition would be that there is a specific frequency, or there's a specific arrangement of magnets or crystals or whatever you're playing with that would yes. give you over unity. What I do as a conscious explain designer... Explain, if you would, please explain what over unity is to some of our audience members know it and others may not. <laughs> over unity I would be a, some kind of device that the energy that you put in, if, for example, electricity, to start the motor up it would give back to you more than what you put in. It's kind of like having a car that you put in a gallon of gas and it, it goes on forever, which yeah. is the way it should be. <laughs> or at least it would give you 100 <laughs> gallons worth of, of, of energy return. Over unity exactly. obviously has the, the, the debunking vocabulary attached to it like uh, perpetual motion. In, in, in our conditioning, we, we're, we're taught to believe that it goes against the laws of physics to have over unity. And yet, we're, we live in a body that's fully an over unity construct. The food that you put in your body are, in no way mirrors the kind of energy that your body puts out. So that there must be exactly some other perfect. energy that works. Yeah. All right. life in other words, there's an alchemy taking place. Yeah. I'm going to repeat this because this is a quote we've got to write down. All life is 
inherently and automatically an over-unity construct. Everything that is alive today is over-unity. The universe is over-unity. We are perpetual motion engines. Yes. All... All of the movement of the, of the heavens is a perpetual motion. There's nothing that is still in the universe. Not one thing is still. Not even our thoughts. So for those who have problems with perpetual motion, get over it. <laughs> exactly. Get into the motion. <laughs> yes. but, no, that's beautifully put, Fernando, and I really appreciate it. And there are so many myths that underlie scientific thinking, you would think it was actually a religion. <laughs> it is. It's definitely a religion. <laughs> and science is a cult, in, in my opinion. That's right. But I respect right. science for, for the incredible, incredible advances that have shown us what we could be. Indeed. And science still itself is actually not a religion. Science itself is a pure method of inquiry that gets a little gummed up by people who bring their dogma and limited beliefs to that altar, if you will. Uh, you know, I'm going to head more into the direction of where we could where we could take what has been given now, because we stand on the yeah. shoulders of, of giant scientists. Yes. How about the idea that what we consider empirical, things that we can measure, how about creating a new set of instruments that measure the unmeasurable, that allows us to tap into the, un, the, the unmanifest? So instead of having a, an electrical probe to see how many volts you're getting out of a system, how about creating instruments within our own bodies that can detect if you are putting technology that is a benefit to humanity? Which means yeah. that, that if, if all of our criteria for breakthrough energy technology focuses on the voltage, then we're missing the larger part of what's happening. And I'll give you an example of a non-tangible. Yeah, please. Yeah. Just experimenting in breakthrough energy technology changes your consciousness, and it changes the consciousness of people around you. This, the idea is that the, the effect is multiple, multiple orders of magnitude than just coming up with an electric motor. Mm-hmm. If we were to... Tr- to for a little while, be like kids and ask the question, well, what do you want free energy for? Well, to power our houses. But why do you want to power your houses? And blah, blah, blah. Continue that train of thought. How far could you go with it? Do we want to be able to travel interstellar? Do we want to meet God? I mean, how far do we want to take that idea? Yeah. So yeah. what I'm suggesting with conscious design is that we fold space and jump to point B right away and put that into mm-hmm. your technology. I keep saying that I don't want a box that just powers my toaster and my microwave some more, and I don't even notice the change. I want to be able to, to interface breakthrough energy technology with my life, in my home, in my mode of transportation, and have it transform me, transform my understanding of reality. That's how profound what we're doing is. It really is. Have you seen that? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I'm... I'm you're, you're absolutely on it. You're absolutely on it. I, as I'm listening to you, I realize even in my own rather expanded, soft and uh, fluid mind, I see rigidities in thinking, um, which means that you must be more fluid than I am, and I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> no, no, but uh, more or less. 
So let's let's think about. <laughs> but you know what I, I mean. You an when, I, when I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, about uh, 15 years ago, I was designing nightclubs. Uh, architecture is one of my backgrounds, and one of the reasons I like nightclubs and electronic music venues is because of that love of light and music and vibration. To me, it's a spiritual thing. So oh, yeah. this client asked me to develop a, an attraction that would be more advanced for that, for that whole market. So I developed something that I call the hypercube, which is a cube structure that you and a group of people would go into at the VIP room at one of these venues. And instead of ordering a drink, like a shot of tequila, you would actually order an experience. And the hostess would guide you into this cube that's made out of light. It's a translucent room. And you would be given a herbal elixir that would initiate a whole homeopathic sequence in your body of healing. By the time you go inside the room, it's like a virtual reality cave system. And there's a lot of different technologies playing at once. The idea would be to create a portal into another world that would heal your body, activate 12 strands of DNA, and give you a sense of out-of-body uh, journeys through the universe in about three minutes. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be fun? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you're this really talking about the... Design. Right, right, right. I mean, these are some of the ideas that were kicking around some years back with the development of virtual reality. Yes. And that whole uh, that word is an oxymoron in itself. It's like assuming yes. that there's real reality and a fake reality, right? Exactly. When, in fact, we really know that the nervous system can't distinguish anything between what we call real and what we call virtual or what we call as if. It's one experience to the nervous system. You know, whether you're watching a film with great adventure or love and intimacy, you indeed love what you're experiencing because it's as though you, we, are passing through those very same experiences. That's the way it works. Yes, and, and one of the beauties of, uh, is to create virtual reality worlds at the Human Interface Technology Lab at the University of Washington. And yes. it's a language that's different than creating web pages or videos or static documents. One of the uh-huh. metrics to be able to understand the effectiveness of your virtual environment, you know, when you put on the head-mounted display and you've got the data glove and you can fly around, the virtual world, right. one of the metrics is the sense of presence. Does your participant, and it's not a user, it's a participant who's entering your creation, does that person feel a sense of presence? That difference is, are you in a place versus just looking at a thing like a document? Imagine if we developed our media, like instead of using Word or PowerPoint, you actually had tools to help you develop a space that people can stick their head into and enter your message. Isn't it about time we have those tools available? Awesome. Awesome. So imagine that virtual virtual reality tools were available to free energy researchers, and they could play with frequencies by inhabiting the sequential space that they're wanting to create. It's almost like they want – if scientists right now who are creating breakthrough energy technologies – had the availability of a virtual reality environment as their software tools, they would be able to evoke the emotion and the, the, the pure thought of the result 
of their machine. That means that their own software would create the frequency of manifestation ahead of the device being built. Did you follow that one? Yeah. Yeah. Because if we get the energetic construct of what we're wanting to create and we're able to to convey that to other people, we would be manifesting even faster in the breakthrough energy world. And this is one of the things that will be proposed at the conference. What are the software tools and the research infrastructure that would accelerate the manifestation of breakthrough energy? Isn't this fun? Oh, yes, exactly. In fact, you're really bringing to mind um, some of the work of Rupert Sheldrake, the British uh, biologist, um, in respect to um, uh, morphogenetic fields and the whole idea that got spun off of that of the hundredth monkey, where when enough people are thinking essentially the same idea, um, that concentration becomes igniting and geometrical. So um, would that be a natural spin-off, if you will, of what you're saying? Oh, yes. Uh, I used to work for Microsoft as a software developer, and I used to work yes. in the office division, uh, developing interfaces for Excel, uh, the spreadsheet. And it seemed to me counterintuitive at the time that we had to break up everything that we do in our business life into Excel, PowerPoint, Project, or one of the software tools, Right. Suddenly our lens is very limited in how we see business solutions. They all have to be expressed in one of those platforms. uh, What's being suggested here is the breakthrough thinking is that our software tools that we use for research have to be radically different so we don't break up our our research into formulas and measurements from from frequency instruments. this is the next yeah. step in, in what the BEM movement wants to put in, in the hands of researchers, a, a, a greater understanding of, of manifesting reality. Yeah, exactly. We are and, speaking with the, the great thing is that the knowledge can be brought to software tools, so you can have iPhone applications that accelerate manifestation. Let's let everybody know that you are listening to A Better World on Blog Talk Radio. And this is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin. You can reach us always at www.abetterworld.tv. That's abetterworld.tv. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, please do. And uh, you'll know what we have on radio and TV every single week out of our offices in New York City. And we are spending this show with... uh, two speakers uh, from the Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference taking place in Hilversum, just outside of Amsterdam in the Netherlands, November 9th through 11th. So go visit the website at Global BEM, which stands, of course, for Breakthrough Energy Movement.com. That's Global BEM.com. We've been speaking with Fernando Vossa, a fascinating man who is helping us transcend worlds and dimensions in our very conversation here on A Better World Radio. In a matter of minutes, we are being transported (laughs) through the universe. I I feel like I'm going between being a a molecule and an atom to being, you know, the macro size of God himself (laughs) listening to you speak. No, really, it's uh, you are sort of 
absolutely, Fernando. It's like you're breaking through the thought forms. And actually earlier when I was saying that I see the reification, if you will, of my own thoughts, that I, you know, we tend to see things in boxes and in categories, and we have those images. So when I said you're very fluid, it's that it's actually a step closer to reality as we see it happening as it was described, for instance, by Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching, that the Tao is a flow. And the closest we can get to describing the flow in language is a river or water flowing. And um, it's our thoughts become mechanisms by which we hold one thought as a form and we miss the fluidity connecting the forms. And I feel your input here on our show today is helping us to see that process and maybe go a step further in becoming more, how do I say, more liquid, which is, uh, you could say, a step closer to reality, question mark? Yes. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I'll share with you one of uh, the creations I'm working on for next year. Absolutely. And this? then I just want to say, David William Gibson just called in, and we'll patch him in in a moment. So share your uh, thought, and then uh, we will wel- welcome David to the show. We're going to have breakaway panels at the conference, and one of the subjects I'm going to be talking about is a research and development facility that I've designed called the Center of Mass Creation. This is a rapid prototyping and creative art space that has 12 laboratories integrated into a huge facility for crystal, water, magnetic energy, thoughts, and going from an idea to holding something in your hand in as short as possible. And the fantasy for me was, what kind of organization would I love to be part of? And it really didn't exist, so I decided to invent it. And this Center of Mass Creation platform is one of the templates we're going to be showing at the conference. It's designed to change entire countries in the way they approach research. Oh, that is absolutely fascinating. I can't wait. And I'm now even especially thrilled that I'll be one of the uh, moderators of these panels. So I'll get to see this up front and personal, as they say. So thank you, Fernando, so much. You know, this conference is is like the dream team to release Breakthrough Energy to the world. If I had the mandate to put together the, the management structure to put together the manufacturing, prototype releasing, funding, and really taking all those scientists from around the world and bringing them together, this would be it. And it just happens to land in my lap like a miracle. I understand. I understand. In my lap as well. And uh, thank you. So any corporation, any organization, or any government individual that's listening right now, this is the group to pay attention to right now. The BEM organization yeah. is is singular right now on the planet. I wanna I, I really think of it as an incubator that is going to be incubating brilliant compassion. I would say an accelerator. An accelerator, yeah, okay. An accelerating incubator. We're well, done they, incubating. We're coming out. <laughs> <laughs> we wanna hatch, that's right. So right now okay. I wanna bring forth talking about hatching. 
David William Gibbons, who is our other guest today, who will also be another speaker at the Breakthrough Energy Conference. He is an international broadcaster, a writer, and historian. He's best known for the creation of deep ethereal dialogue. This is fascinating to me. And he broadcasts widely across the transitory and fast-evolving technologies that exist at the beginning of the 21st century and uh, are transporting us and allowing us to speak across continents. Even in this call, we have Fernando in the Netherlands, we have me in New York, and we have David on the West Coast. Is that correct, David? That is correct, Mitchell. How does this find you today? Oh, excellent. Thank you so much. I'm so glad through one thing or another that you were able to join us on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Well, likewise. I reflect that back to you, and hello to you, Fernando. It's nice to talk hello, to you. Hello, David. Great great to have you join us. It's the perfect timing. Absolutely. David, David, your your background is so interesting to me, and it's, it's so distinct, this notion of serial dialogue. How will this come to play? What is it that you'll be speaking about at the conference and how does the serial dialogue interface with that? Essentially, the presentation, the, the major presentation on the first day will be around the dialogues and the relationship that I created with the late Dr. Brian O'Leary. An amazing relationship and uh, many, many hours of conversations with this wonderful man that I learned so much from. And since then, I've spent three years, although I've spent many years working on this ethereal type of deep dialogue, uh, learning from the works of people such as Walter Russell and others, understanding yeah. the, the rhythms of the universe and the, the, the interchange and the, 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 the cosmic pendulum and, and really working in tandem or in concert with that to take a yeah. deep dialogue further than just our senses, but take a, a dialogue into the the ethereal space. And yeah. it's it's challenging, clearly, but it is the way of the future, I believe, to engage and transform people into understanding the importance of deep dialogue that is not necessarily uh, capturing language or vernacular or symbolism that we've had in the past, but looking at something else, looking at the truth of all things, looking at authenticity, looking at the true rhythms of nature. So that's where I've been charting my journey, and Dr. Brian O'Leary, of course, was a very important part of that. Tell us, our audience, a little bit about who Brian O'Leary was and the kind of... Uh, impact that he had on you in your thinking? Brian O'Leary was uh, he, uh, he was an astronaut he was also a great researcher he steered away from let's call it the establishment back in the 70s having been an astronaut for some time in NASA that was his dream from early childhood and mm -hmm. he started to oppose the uh, the, the traditional theories of science and he uh, departed from that world and became part of a more conscientious type of uh, scientific thought, ideas 
and he developed uh, most of his work in his latter years in concentrating on energy. He was uh, pragmatic, but he was also very emotive at the same time in uh, really getting across this intense message that we must now look at alternative energy. We're in a transitory uh, uh, time. We still have energies like solar power and wind power, turbine power. But he was mm -hmm. uh, very much of the opinion that we needed to move forward now beyond fossil fuels. And he devoted much of his life uh, to talking about that, discussing it, and making it a, a reality. Yes. Was he focusing on any particular alternative or renewable energies, or was he more uh, a spokesperson for the importance of moving beyond the fossil age, so to speak? Well, he certainly saw that the fossil fuel industry was prehistoric. He was deeply concerned in his final year about the state of the nuclear power industry, which, of course, we all are. Uh, realizing Indeed. that it's uh, it, it's definitely seen its day and it should be arrested at this point. But he was Indeed. also looking at free energy. He looked beyond uh, those new energies that we believe that we have today in solar and wind power and sea power, looking at yeah. zero-point energies. And I, I think he yeah. concurred with me towards the end that zero-point was... Uh, rather too generic. We always used to talk in, in, in terms of uh, unity, unity energy. Yeah. And he concentrated on that. He was in touch with many inventors. Uh, he was charting it. He was attempting to be an ambassador for it and mm -hmm. very challenged by it, of course, uh, with the yeah. establishment. But he was always very... Um, he was always very uh, concentrated in his efforts to make sure that at the end of the day, whether it would be now or, as Nikola Tesla said, in a thousand years that we have energy that was uh, very available to us tens of thousands of years ago, uh, energy yeah. of the heart, energy of the mind. I was yeah. interested in Fernando's statements uh, when he was talking about thought, and this is, of course, where Walter Russell uh, goes with his ideas, and this is, of course, where Brian O'Leary was led, that it goes beyond the traditional human behavior we have today to the thinking mind, to the idea of the creator. And Brian was very close to this, and he saw a direct correlation with free energy. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm, two things come to mind as I'm listening to you, David. One, I uh, happen to be very good friends with, and he's a colleague, Yasuhiko Genko Kimura, who used to be the director of the Walter Russell Institute. And uh, he was uh, formerly a Zen monk in uh, Japan before he uh, moved to the United States and uh, changed his life and basically took the principles of Buddhist thought and applied them to the, to the business world, to, you could say, spiritualize and upgrade the business world, which I have interviewed him about a number of times and I think so well of myself. And um, I'm also reminded, and his, his entire work, by the way, is about authentic thinking. So it looks like there are branches of a tree here. I'm also reminded, as you're speaking of Brian O'Leary, David, of uh, 
Edgar Mitchell, who I also met and interviewed many years ago, who whose experience on the moon and traveling there gave rise ultimately to the formation of the Institute for Noetic Sciences because he, unknown to his colleagues aboard, was experimenting with various parapsychological experiments to prove the existence of uh, telepathy and the like with some of his uh, science friends here on Earth while he was, uh, you know, orbiting the planet. And it's interesting. It seems that when we leave the sphere of the Earth, or when some people do, even the most rigorous of scientists and astrophysicists, they are in touch with another energy field, you could say, that might waken them up, since, Fernando, you so well put it at the beginning of the show, this whole thing is about the age of awakening, and there are different degrees of it all over. I'm just reminded of that, David, as you were speaking, of this uh, perhaps ethereal intelligence that becomes available to us as we we can be flat smack on the earth, but we can also perhaps become more subject to it when we leave it. Your thoughts? I would totally concur. I remember my time with Edgar Mitchell. We spent two hours, uh, and I can remember at one point he talked about being in the capsule, returning to Earth, and being in a different form, being in a light body. I think this is very important to acknowledge because it is being in a different space. And, of course, you can look back at great individuals. You have the picture thinking of Nikola Tesla. You have Walter Russell that was actually experiencing it in his famous 39 days. And you can look back at the famous World War I poets like Siegfried Sassoon, who would stand above the trench and look down and see from above as a witness, as a listener, as a writer of legacies. And this is where humanity is going, I believe, particularly with energy. Energy is available to everybody. We lost it over the eons of time, and I truly believe that we are now in a a transitionary state to where we're going to go back and find those by default out of necessity. And these great individuals knew that. They felt it. They lived it out of this uh, body suit that we live in today. Uh, whether it was enforced on them or not. But today, uh, given the state of the world and human behavior, we will have no doubt uh, as a human race to be compelled into thinking differently, into looking at things differently, into our human behavior in our human transactions, into uh, ridding ourselves of the typical human frailties of codependence and and all of the other addictions that we have as humans. And I'm, mm. I, I would imagine that uh, people like Edgar Mitchell, he saw that. He saw it firsthand, many of these people yeah. did. And I, I believe as a whole, because we are inseparable after all, that we're all going to be part of this, uh, whether it's in this life or the next life. We're going to witness it and we're going to experience it. And, it's a great time to be alive. I had said right at the beginning of my career that we are the generations of generations, and I believe that mm. is so. And this is where 
Fernando raises wonderful points that it is about uh, the thoughts behind your actions. It's not about what comes from your senses or your mouth anymore. It's uh, thinking it. It's being authentic. It's being close to the source of all creation. That David, let me uh, share a little to... bit. Go ahead. Uh, I, I, in building virtual environments over a span of two decades uh, with testing on thousands of people, uh, I gained a, a, an amazing amount of knowledge on what, what we call the, bo- the body boundary uh, perception. We feel that our, the edge of our body is on our skin at the moment. But when you get into a race car, that body boundary is extended to the race car and eventually to the track. And I wanted to test the limits of how much could our mind handle as an extended body boundary. Could we imagine us being a planet or a solar system or a galaxy or an entire universe or a multiverse, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. imagine designing tools to measure a perceived body boundary uh, that you could actually see it projected on a wall where you can see a field around your body uh, of how much it extends to include other yeah. people. So imagine if we designed technology, machines, that also had a, a self-awareness of their own physicality, and it would project a field of energy around itself, like a, let's just say something simple as a cell phone, and you could see the perceived body boundary of that object. What I'm suggesting is that this understanding of the field, the, the construct of energy around physical objects, is truly what is what we would consider more real than the physical expression itself. And yeah. all of this research and all of this uh, dialogue points to the idea that we, we have to begin our research with the energetic part of what we're wanting to, to study and then move Indeed. into the physical part. Science right now is really tied into the physical, empirical, measurable matter. And we're missing, I would say, 95% of the energetic. Would you agree, David? Yeah. I would, wholeheartedly, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, you have even uh, mainstream scientists now beginning to show signs of questioning uh, the laws of Einstein and Newton, uh, talking now openly about the formless versus the form. Uh, these are transitionary periods, and I believe that, of course, Fernando, we are looking at human behavior in concert with understanding the the rhythms of that energy, not only around ourselves, but around uh, objects and understanding nature. thinking yeah. mind is, is going to uh, change between um, the, inta- the intangible and the tangible, how it works between source and cause and effect. And wouldn't it be wonderful to, to see... Uh, you know, kids, and of course many of them now, we know that DNA is changing in human beings. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see uh, generations not too far off understand about this energy and its importance in pairing it with the essential guidelines of human behavior? And I perhaps think uh, that is what is uh, really painting this tapestry today in the world that we're in. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you both very much uh, to just touch upon, Fernando, this notion of measuring uh, fields. Um, 
the work of Dr. Karatkov in uh, St. Petersburg. Maybe you're familiar with it. Um, the work he's done to extend the work oh, of Dr. Curlian and the Curlian oh, okay, photography. Yes. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is a way of measuring fields around the body. And, uh, of course, with our imagination, which I always say is God's greatest gift to us, allows us to either, you know, um, imagine ourselves the size of a, a molecule or the size of a universe, as you were as you were putting it, and in a, in a second, literally in a flash. I think that kind of um, facility is going to become increasingly important to us. And if you want to talk about improving, let's say, evolving human behavior, as you were doing, David, you know, the idea that our boundaries are not at all limited to our physical body, but that we are impinging upon each other and we can either harmonize our fields or not, you know, to create a society, that there in the some, some level there is no separation. I mean, I think that's a theme that continues to assert itself in uh, spiritual and metaphysical and psychological circles more and more, that on one so, level we are all one body. And I think this kind of notion is getting more and more in circulation in our mainstream. And, you know, David, because you and I are both involved in media as well, we can be reaching, you know, many more people in a flash with these kinds of ideas. I would certainly agree uh, with everything that you've placed out there in that aforementioned statement. Uh, media is very important. Business is very important. Business is defined uh, today in a different way, and uh, the, the elections to me are just another... Uh, illusion, uh, frankly, yeah. um, is part yeah. of is just. Oh, you want to go there, David? Huh? <laughs> well, no, I, actually, I would prefer not to. But I, I think that wherever you go, business, technology, energy is going to be enhanced, not by politics, not even by the existing business models, but by people yeah. coming together, uh, by people being innovative, by being inspired, by uh, closing down the old uh, ideas of conflict, of understanding the true nature of dialogue. Uh, maybe you could refer back to the, the, the Greek logos. Uh, although I, yeah. I think today we must look at something completely different. We must be talking from talking from our hearts. And well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I had working at a brain training laboratory in La Jolla, California. This was established by uh, my friend and colleague, Bijar Parmar. The training was that we would measure brain waves and get an initial reading of your current state. And the system could detect if you were experiencing stress or a whole variety of issues like abandonment or fear. And then we would do visualizations like meditations and guide people yeah while still measuring their brain waves. One of the areas that we were studying is manifestation. From the moment you have a thought, I want a new job, I want a new girlfriend, I want to travel, to the physical manifestation of that, what was happening in the brainwave activity? And, gentlemen, what was happening was the brain has a, a range that we call the alpha-beta, where you're really busy sure. thinking about things, or you're daydreaming. Uh, sure. Those two 
those two range of frequencies seem to cross each other at a certain point from the time you think you set a goal to when you notice things happening. You get the phone call, you get the check in the mail, you get an invitation. And at some point in our research, the brain was predicting manifestation and it was almost like the brain was structuring the field around your body to organize synchronicity. And that's where we left off with that research, and we're going to pick that back up. But what really it opens up here is imagine if we could create an entire range of applications where we are able to document individuals in particular brain states, for example, meditating on world peace, and infuse that entire range of, of molecules around a magnetic device that generates the frequency of peace, that generates the frequency of abundance. Sure. At the same time, it puts out light and heat and uh, mechanical power. So you could have a home that you step into, and the home teaches you to be in peace and it heals your body, and it also produces light. This is part of what's available to us right now off the shelf. Absolutely. No, that's beautiful, Fernando. I so appreciate that. I just want to shed some light on this uh, idea that inherent in um, the teachings of the, the um, or origins of feng shui, which looks like they are the Indian vastu, and the, the teachings of uh, of this science of space and placement, they had understandings of geometry and angles and color and shape to such an extent that they would be able to confer in a physical space different kinds of ideas, you could say, different kinds of virtue bathing, if you will. The bathing, if you will, in love, in love or compassion or dignity or integrity. And that was part of this very ancient, it might even be some 10,000 years old, art that has gotten passed on to us and, of course, has gotten somewhat diluted. I happen to know somebody who's studying with a, uh, a um, someone who has been part of a lineage going back to, I don't know, I think it's the 16th century of families that have been teaching this for all these hundreds of years, although the practice itself goes back much further. But I, I'm saying that we have the technologies today, and what's curious, it's maybe time-bending. We had these technologies also many thousands and understandings thousands of years ago. You want to comment on that? Uh, yes, uh, I was going to see if David was going to say something. The, the knowledge of the field and structuring fields of reality has been around, I believe, since the beginning of time. Uh, yeah. I recently visited with Michael Tellinger, who's also one of our speakers at the conference, yeah, the archaeological site called yeah. Adam's Calendar in South Africa. And there are artifacts there of stones that are crystals, that resonate at different frequencies. And these stone circles are all over the southern uh, 
uh, tip of, of Africa. Somewhere 100 to 200,000 years ago, there were civilizations that had a cymatic understanding of planets. So the, the circles seem to reflect an entire range of frequencies that the Earth is putting out. If we were to calculate how yeah. many people were estimated to be alive back then, there weren't enough human bodies to build those structures back then. Yeah. What do you think about that? So, yes, there's oh, great evidence fabulous. of our ancestors and their understanding yeah. of manifesting thought, manifesting matter through thought. Yes. I, I, it's beautiful. I mean, I'm just I'm reflecting and mulling on the ideas that are coming from both of you and we're forming a synergy here in this, I don't know if I would call it ethereal dialogue. I would leave that up to David to define. But uh, certainly the synergistic, synergistic space that we've got here, maybe a soup, a delicious blend of different ideas that really are very far-ranging and can really move humanity to the next step. And this conference, I feel, really, yes, I use the word incubator and you – Fernando used the word accelerator. Um, I don't know what happens when you put an incubator and an accelerator together, <laughs> but I think it's going to give birth to something very special. <laughs> you know? we're, not, we're not eggs to keep warm anymore. One of the yeah. ideas that we're putting forward with the Global BEM movement is that whatever the next step we take in providing energy to the world can't be just a, a marginal advancement. It has to be several orders of magnitude more advanced because we are setting a new table for humanity. We're not invited at the, at the table right now with the oil companies and electric and nuclear. We're actually creating yeah. an entire new ballroom, and the, the understanding and knowledge that is available to us with breakthrough thinking is unlimited. We don't have creative freedom in research in universities right now or in corporations. So imagine when we give armies of free thinkers the environment, the software tools, and the funding to break free. There's nothing to hold that back, is there? No. No. I'm, I'm inspired. I really am. I think it's so exciting to create a new platform for creation and creativity, not banking on, you know, no fun intended, on what we have known as the banks of creation until now, which essentially is our status quo and I'm world, a which, is light, which is life. Just, I think this is an important point, and I, it's something that I've focused on, and I'd love to hear what you both have to say. Uh, is life destroying? If you look at virtually all of the mechanisms of our current social societal life, the institutions, of war, of military, of the way we exploit natural resources. Everything is about destruction. And I believe so much in my heart that we really collectively can create a society that is based on creation and sustainability. And I'm not using these words patly at all or glibly, but truly a life-affirming, love-affirming, affirming, compassion-affirming lifestyle that can take us into, literally into orbit. David, and, can you uh, comment on that? Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, or, I want to hear no, from no. David on this one. <laughs> yeah. 
everything is divine and everything is in order. Yeah. You always have to have a reference point in the world, in the planets, in the universe, whether you're comparing uh, um, good to evil, dark to light. Without that reference point, you don't have the ability to move on and to progress. Today's uh, world, this world that we live in, the human behavior is reaching certainly an apex and it is the turning point. Uh, we talk very much about the environment and we talk about the planet being harmed and destroyed and certainly it is. But yeah. the planet and Mother Earth is uh, very strong and very courageous. Yeah. It is more today about human behavior and where we're going. And in this cosmic pendulum, referring back to Walter Russell, this is how it is, this is how it should yeah. be. And this is acting as the reference point to change, and without it, you wouldn't be able to change it. Uh, the major issue here is how long do you have? And the other issue for me is I do have two daughters, and I know that we cannot defer anymore. I've been saying that for many, many years. I see yeah. our ancestors and generations before us deferring, saying, particularly in the 50s after the Second World War, where you start to see a raging consumerism and industrialization. And it's very much uh, a statement of, well, we'll let the kids deal with it. We cannot do that today. We are a yeah. generation that has to take care of this, and we do have to leave them in good shape. And if we do not, they are not going to survive. And I think that's one of the most important purposes today is for us to understand the purpose of that reference point, the value of that reference point. That determines everything. It determines human behavior. It determines business, social interaction, uh, human accord, nature, uh, and Mother Earth. If we can understand that through these deep dialogues, we have a huge opportunity to avoid a tipping point that takes us over the cliff. And we are close. There will be some who, who say, well, another 100 years, another 200 years. We do not have that time. And we have been chosen as this generation, I believe, to seriously sacrifice ourselves on behalf of our children. Uh, if you look at the fossil fuel industry, you look at the situations in the Amazon, and Brian O'Leary was uh, pained deeply by what he saw with Chevron. I covered the BP disaster in the Gulf of Mexico very, very deeply with a colleague. Mm -hmm. And these situations may appear in this grand illusion to have disappeared to be out of our sight, but they are very much here, just as Fukushima is a very, yeah. very serious situation. We have yeah. within our generation to take care of this. And if that means sacrificing everything, then that's what it has to be. That is being in truth and authenticity. And I'm not wishing to sound melodramatic because I'm rather a pragmatic chap from England. But I do know, I do know that we are the generation of generations, and these issues must be, as Fernando pointed out, 
placed into a priority, particularly with energy. It must be organized now so the ego uh, and the um, poverty consciousness that still exists with inventors in, in free energy and new energy and alternative energy, it must be worked on. We have that ability. We can do this. And this takes a lot of hard work and a lot of dialogue to be able to uh, transmit that uh, this does have to be done differently. Even for inventors of free energy, we must look at this in the long term for the sake of our children, I believe. And I do hope that that partially answers your question. Oh, it does. It does. It, it really hits the nail on the head. Before I comment, uh, Fernando, please, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Your response. We have an opportunity to lay down the groundwork to inspire a young mind in a way that hasn't been done before. If we place in the hands of children in primary school an understanding of mental telepathy and astral travel and telekinesis and all of those different things that we were told not to talk about, I have done classes and workshops on exactly training kids how to do that, and they teach me. So what would it take, uh, as David was mentioning, to bridge our current generation right now? The, those of us who are, uh, you know, I'm 48 right now, and I'm thinking, boy, I wish I was just born right now because this is the age to grow up in. I see that art is really the platform to do it. It's not going to be science. Uh, it's not going to be religion or spirituality on its own. Right now, the most exciting thing I have going is art, because there's where we can explore with true freedom. What comes out of true freedom is a faith and a belief that anything is possible. And that's where the true, true thinking is, is going to take place. When you let kids know that they have to pay for the right to be alive on this planet, and that there's not going to be energy to power their dreams, then the whole breakdown in the entire process. The challenge for me is creating that open up the consciousness of those who are my age, uh, those who are from the generation that are the entrenched dogma. How can we inspire and open those hearts for theirs. So there's full belief that we can live on a planet without money, a planet without oil as a fossil fuel, a planet that's in peace. All of these statements I just made have a frequency signature attached to them. Yes. As soon as you consider it. So that to me is going to be the bridge between the young uh, children that are right now are inheriting the earth and those of us who right now have a chance to hand over something beautiful. So I'm right with you, David. Yeah. Could I yeah. could I res could I just respond to that, Mitchell? Please, please. Oh, please. I, I'm profoundly moved by that statement on two counts. I think number one, being the generation of all generations, as I term it, I talk about zero to the end of this bodysuit today in this moment. So I fully concur, and yes. Fernando, many people are hardwired. There is no doubt about it. I believe through a set of circumstances, whether it's in this illusionary reality 
where you may be hit by austerity or you may lose your business or whatever that is or a psychological death, that hardwired model can easily be dissipated. But it can be easily dissipated as well by the single touch of another human being who has this divine positive energy. And we, we have that. I think the other thing I would love to respond to you, if I may, is this point on art. I fully concur. If I look back to my childhood and I read the history books, uh, in my childhood I can remember my teacher uh, tapping me on the shoulder at my, my English school and saying, don't dream, laddie, get back to work. And this is where it went, all went wrong. Because dreaming is what it's about for kids today. Let them dream. But more importantly, Fernando, the importance of art today in concert with dialogue, which is what I'm achieving with some incredible artists, divine artists, divine feminine artists, is bringing back this emphasis to art. Because art... I believe, and Fernando, you've wrong or right on my part, I think today for a child to be artistic, to have a paintbrush, to throw a rock at a wall and see how it dismantles, uh, to paint a tapestry is as powerful and energetic as sitting down with a pen, working with equations that are antiquated and outdated in our academia. Art, I believe, is going to be an incredible potential for change. I hope that helps in my response. Oh, I, that is such a, a beautiful uh, bringing together the ideas. But what I want to throw into the mix is the monkey wrench. Instead of putting paint in a kid's hand, put a crystal, put a magnet, put the understanding of sound resonance, working with water as a conscious substance, suddenly you're going to see artists, working with technology, and you will have kids building inverse gravity vehicles as an art installation. Uh, I've met several artists recently that work in pure technology. For example, uh, the artist from uh, Portable uh, Portable Temple, I'm trying to remember their website, this is Evelina and Dimitri, are working on something called Sonoluminescence, which is this beautiful... Uh, expression of light that comes from sound bubbles in liquid. Yeah. And they also play with, with lasers. So this is where, where I'm, I'm looking for the breakthroughs in, in energy, is the technology artists. Absolutely. I would, I, I, I would support that. I would support that, Mitchell. I'm sorry. I have to say I would support that wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, if, yeah. You're, if you're taking kids to uh, Palm Springs, and you're having them stand under one of those uh, power generators for a couple of hours, and you stand them uh, in 90-degree positions over a couple of hours, and you get their perspectives, and you take away the old sandbox theories, and you have them understand the wind and the power and the nature and the soil and everything that they, they breathe and the vibrations that come through it up through their feet to their crown chakra. That is so important, is it not, to understand this in terms of nature and crystals, understanding how we become who we are through the carbon line of life. So, Fernando, I I praise you for that. I I think that you made a (laughs) wonderful statement. 
Thank you for yeah, listening. Yeah, I appreciate uh, all the Take things. a look at uh, portablepalace.com where you can see the work of technology artists Evelina and Dimitri that just blew my mind as what is possible. These are artists who are creating holograms and playing with multidimensional energy right in front of our face. I think what we're really talking about here, Fernando, which you're bringing up very much to the surface, is uh, we began speaking earlier about the relationship of science and spirituality, but I think we also have to look at the relationship of science to art and art to science, because in our peculiar mindset, we see these as actually polarized, but by looking at life as art, as an artful act, if you will. Everything changes. The game changes. And, yes, we typically think of artists as those, you know, wielding paintbrushes and the like. Well, I would say that's one aspect of art. That's a, a traditional form of art. But I, what I really hear being said here uh, between both of you, um, if not explicitly, implicitly, is that life, life itself becomes the art. And it becomes a learning. And that science and art need to really hold hands again. I, uh, I myself have been schooled in the, um, the art, science, and uh, thinking of George Ivanovich Kurjeev for many years. And one of the things he talks about is objective art. And if you really want to think about what that means, it really he was one of the earlier people to think about the effect of frequency the effect of color, the effect of sound on our consciousness, on our psyche, and that we would all have a similar kind of response to a given construction, if you will. And that becomes very interesting in terms of advancing our society along the lines of an artistic creation, that life itself, that society becomes our art form. And here's the, one of the magic that happens when we involve the consciousness and spirituality aspect in technology art. The understanding that the, the universe is made up of self-aware matter and energy, that means these electrons and these photons want to play with us. They want to have fun. They want to be in yeah. bliss and in joy and in truth. Love and yep. compassion are the most powerful frequencies there are in this universe. So, uh, I know, David, this is opening up some doors, but I want you to jump in. Uh, when we create technology that is designed to entertain and, in, and invite these electrons and photons and waves to play with us, we're going to see some interesting things. The very exactly. rock in nature wants to play with us. They want to levitate for us. We just have to act in the right way from the heart. And this language will be part of the science books very soon. I, I will bet on it. Yeah. I want to circle back to something, David, that you were putting out in your uh, really interesting phrase, generation of generations. Um, I have a feeling that you and I might be of relatively similar generation. Um, I know I can say for myself I, I was definitely of the hippie generation, and I embrace all the values of it. And the only thing really very different from then and now is the length of my hair. And uh, the values that were being um, espoused and uh, brought forward 
of peace on earth. Like many of the things that are being circulated in this conversation here were very much uh, a part of my organic nature, you know, that we could have a world without war and the like. You all know the, the phrases that we, uh, that we had for those years in the 60s and 70s. And um, when you say generation of generations, I, I myself go back to that. I don't know if that's exactly what you have in mind, but I feel like we've lost so many of our compatriots, our brothers and sisters who were at that time marching um, for peace and against the war of Vietnam and on. And there was something that got moved so deeply in our hearts that we really wanted to have, how do I put it, a better world. We really wanted to make a, a serious departure from the world that we inherited to borrow on, you know, astro, astrological language from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. We really wanted there to be a point of delineation between the material world of us versus them and all of that to a world of we and us and collaboration and win-win and agreement like that and harmony. And um, I, I think you're right uh, so much that, yes, we have children and we want to provide a world that in our hearts we feel we owe them and we owe to life itself. I'd love to hear what you uh, have to respond. I thoroughly agree. We live many lives. We, in this cosmic pendulum in this universe that we live we we are born and we leave this body suit but we never die yeah we uh, certainly inherit the traumas of our ancestors there is no doubt of that yeah. and we owe to them to extinguish those traumas and this occurs sometimes over a generation, sometimes over many generations, and sometimes never. But this is another reason why I make this statement of us being the generation of all generations, because indeed if we are going to fulfill our full potential with the energy that Fernando and yourself have talked to, then we have infinite possibilities here to extinguish forever all of those traumas. That is not to say that there are not going to be uh, a dark and a light. Um, if you lose the dark, as I've said before, you lose your reference point. But it can be extinguished yeah. to a different dimension, a different idea, a different thinking process, where it would not even be recognizable from somebody uh, living in today's world over somebody uh -huh. even 10 or 20 years away. So I think this is very important to acknowledge, and when we talk about art, uh, I could quote Shakespeare or, or I could go back to the, the Descartes or the Aristotles and many others who were always regarded as the fool, as Shakespeare used to say. And mm -hmm. yet, of course, we all know that they were not. Um, they were not fools. They were smarter than others. Uh, they were just more inspired and more exposed to the rhythmic flows of the universe. Uh, yeah. Whether they died or not in their times as penance for that, 
it it does not matter. They did their jobs. And today we talk about suppression when I'm not clear on that whether we need to really because we do have the upper hand now. We do unknowingly have a world where there are a bigger majority of people who are for change, for a conscious world, for an evolutionary process that takes us into abundance. We're just not aware of it. But that's because we're not aware of the universe. We're lucky if we see 2% of the universe at the best, just as we see 2% of those people who are really changing. So this is a great benefit to to relax into that and to surrender to that and know that everything is changing and we are changing it and it will be yeah. in this this generation that we reside in art is uh, the future uh, science uh, today if you're in academia if i talk to uh, those in cornell or berkeley or others uh, academia is for the main part not in all but for the main part, teaching completely wrong theories. And I've noticed, however, talking to very learned colleagues in academic establishments, that they are beginning to get it. They are beginning to be influenced from within by enrolling students who purposefully establish themselves within that environment to affect change from within. And that is a courageous step. And the kids are doing that today. Oh, my. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. I want to circle back to something because I see that the three of us can go into the stratosphere and we feel very comfortable there. And yet, David, you mentioned something that I think is so wholly important, which is Fukushima. And we but we all mentioned the nuclear uh, energy and the plants that we are sitting on here in the United States. I mean, we just went through Hurricane Sandy here, and where I sit to speak to you both now is 19 miles away from Indian Point Nuclear Plant. And if those waves had reached another foot or two in height, or if the storm sustained for another, you know, whatever, 6 or 12 hours, then we could have had a huge, huge mess on our hands. And it's just kind of indicative of the kind of true real-world issues that we're facing, and we have to have the courage and the hearts, and I'm going to also now say the arts, to deal with. So (laughs) I would like to hear how you both um, would address this. I, I will also throw in one other thing. Since, David, you also mentioned the fact that we're sitting on an election uh, occurring, the voting taking place tomorrow, um, Election Day, and uh, we're looking at uh, Obama and Romney, and this is, uh, to me, a very scary enterprise. And I've been involved in um, third-party candidacy uh, for most of my voting life, and most recently have had such folks as Rocky Anderson of the Justice Party on, a true environmentalist and deeply spiritual man, Dr. Jill Stein of the Green Party, um, a real doctor and environmentalist herself, and others are very much in circulation that few people know about. But this is the real world we're dealing with right now. 
although we'd like to think of it as an illusion or a bad dream in some ways. <laughs> but with all of our incredibly lofty ideas and the acceleration taking place through the breakthrough energy movement that we're part of, what would each of you have to say to address these very threatening uh, issues before us? David, I, I, I would like to share, because I live next to uh, San Onofre Nuclear Power Plant on the West Coast near San Diego. Oh, yes, yeah, sure. Which also that. happens to be on a Navy base and a military base. Uh, uh, the understanding that what we say is the real world, why does that always get associated with something negative that's happening? Just like you said, this is the real world. The real world that I live in has solutions for nuclear waste that can be done in months. There are technologies that can clean up the radiation within months yes. or less and, and neutralize yes. it. And there are technologies that can clean up entire oceans of water, hundreds of millions of square meters of water within months. Um, so the art of it is that the solution has to fit in our brain, our imagination, and we, and we begin there. The timing with the presidency, and I'm not going to vote in this election. Beautifully put, Fernando. Beautifully put. Thank you. Yeah, I'm on. not going to waste my time on voting for the lesser of two evils because I do not vote for that. What I'm suggesting <laughs> is that whatever president we get, whether it's Obama or Romney, I want to be part of the technology crew that guides our presidency. I invite other individuals who are in, in a position of, of, of giving wisdom to our leaders, then let's do it. Let's all do it together. So I will work with Romney or Obama or whoever is in charge. I'm, I'm saving yeah. my vote for Andre Basaggio in 2016, who is an individual who has no problem thinking about free energy or bringing it to the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful. What do you think? Thank you, Fernando. That's beautiful. Thanks. David? Well, wonderfully said. Nuclear energy, nuclear energy is destined to fail, and it certainly will fail within our generation. I have no doubt of that, and it will fail because there will be so many people who perish from it. Unfortunately, Fukushima is way beyond... Uh, that um, sort of level that they're talking to. <clears throat> this is a form of excessive greed, of course, in the world, and we're all aware of that, and it's that greed yeah. that will be part of the dismantling of this paradigm. But what people fail to understand, and of course I do not judge them or blame them for this, clearly, uh, is that m many don't realize just how simple nuclear power is. Uh, nuclear power is simply uh, the same as coal power. It is uh, steaming water and turning turbines, and it could be um, compared to the simpler devices created at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. It just so happens mm -hmm. that you are using uh, cesium and, and, and dreadful, dreadful um, uh, compounds that are designed for the Earth and should remain in the Earth uh, where they are useful and where they're meant to be in order to maintain the structure of our beautiful planet. We uh, mine uranium. We do it out of greed. Uh, we're still doing it. Uh, there's a madness behind that, and many will say that it is psychotic behavior. 
uh, term it what you will, labelling as much as language yeah. today really has to be disregarded to some sort of other energetic uh, um, type of dialogue. But yes, it is there. We know it's there. We know that it has to go. It will go. People will make sure that it goes. And I think that there are synchronicities. Uh, this election, I, I'm not political. I, I look at it that it will be what it will be. Uh, all I know is in any society, uh, you need to inspire people. You need to give people the will to be able to work. And more importantly than anything, it's not about money. It's about purpose today. If people have purpose, they have a divine will to live through this amazing time that we're in. And in California in the last couple of months, many, many people have approached me and said, I don't have a job. I don't have anything. I don't know what to do. And I always say, have a purpose. Even if that purpose is sitting in a room with a paintbrush or it's sculpting or it's creating a piece of clay, don't ever let people put you off that and say that that's not a proper job. Make your job your purpose. That is what this mm -hmm. transition is all about. So, you know, looking at Beautiful. all of these different paradigms, uh, yes, the elections are part of the transition. Uh, whoever um, succeeds in this election, there is no doubt as part of this uh, turning point, this, uh, this elastic band that we've reached the end of now, that either way there will be uh, much uh, social discord. Uh, it probably will be like Europe. Is that a bad thing or is that a good thing? Well, the only thing I can say is it's, it's divine and it's how it's meant to be, and it's how it's meant to be to wake up humanity to their true purpose, uh, to make this planet everything that it can be. However it goes, yes, it's going to be difficult. It is a different world, and when I talk to people, many political commentators or philosophers, and some of them will still talk to the, um, the, the old manufacturing, the industrial methods, that is not here now. We, we have a different world. So whoever of these two gentlemen make it, they will have their feet put to the fire. And they will have a mission like no other president ever has because their changing will have to look at sustainability. It will not be about talking to carbon taxes. It, it, will, it will be harnessing and balancing sustainability of this planet with... Uh, a means to keep people occupied and in their purpose. I hope that answers the question. Beautifully. Absolutely beautifully. I, I totally appreciate it. It brings to mind, David and Fernando, this idea that we get from the 12-step programs, like AA, of bottoming out. I feel that with the exclusion of other truly qualified candidates from the dialogue, so that we are given, as Ralph Nader would call them, twiddly D and twiddly dumb, where you really can hardly tell the difference between their larger policies. Oh, yes, of course, there are some, there are differences between them. It would be foolish to say they're not. But as Chris Hedges, the wonderful journalist from the New York Times, formerly said, if a vote for either is actually a vote to the corporate state. You're voting corporatism, whether it's blue or red. 
this only when you go to the third party, which from a metaphysical point of view is actually very interesting because it always takes three for any manifestation to really occur. The law of three, as it's called in metaphysics. Um, so it takes a third voice to really manifest the truth in this case because they don't have the same uh, stake in the material outcome as the others do. So, you know, with that said, I'm reminded of the words of, uh, I think it was FDR, who said, make me do it. And I know that Obama invoked that early in his uh, presidency. But at this point, because of everything that we've all been talking about here in this latter part of the show, about nuclear energy and about Fukushima and the destruction of oxygen on our planet, that we cannot allow our Amazon and other rainforests to go up and smoke because of fossil fuels and the like, that we will demand that this is a time of waking. And awakening, I like to remind people, happens on many different levels. One is what we can and often refer to as a spiritual awakening, a larger awakening to the higher order of the universe. Another is seeing how the war has been pulled over our eyes, socially, politically, and economically, and who's really pulling the strings, you know, behind the, uh, behind the, uh, the curtain. And that's another level of awakening that Foster Gamble and his film Thrive so eloquently describes, you know, who the puppet masters really are. That's another level of awakening for people. So I think that, as you said, David, everything is in perfect order. This is exactly what needs to take place for the awakening to occur on a more mass level to bring us up to the level of being able to appreciate the kinds of subjects that we'll be dealing with very uh, thoroughly and comprehensively at the Breakthrough Energy Conference. So just just some thoughts, people. I wanted to open well, up I, the platform to see what, what you're feeling are some of the things that may unfold in the next couple of months and with this, all the attention on the 2012 date. And sometimes that's I answer that question is what I would like to see happen. Why don't you go for it? We have a few more minutes left. Let's hear what you both have to say. I feel that the the laser focus that we've had on the December 21st date has so many different cycles attached to it, both uh, yeah. human and cosmic and political and financial, that there's no way that nothing's going to happen. What I I like the idea that it's going to be a subtle internal shift in people's thinking where we have a proclivity to violence, we won't even like violent shows in the coming uh, years. Hollywood is going to have to shift its focus into something more conscious. I also see that we're going to have the Earth wanting to, to accelerate its vibration into what you know, the, the spiritual community calls fourth, fifth dimensional Earth. I like that understanding. But I also see that there's a timeline where nothing happens at all. We wake up, it's the same, same thing as yesterday, and that mm. silence, that cosmic silence 
illness is, is the initiator to the backlash of people taking ownership for action, taking responsibility for their decisions and their thoughts. Because if nothing happens, that's when we're going to hit the streets, is what I believe. Uh, and mm. taking action. Interesting. Because then we'll know, we'll have an answer. Either way, my heart is at peace with 2012. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this roller coaster. What do you think, David? <laughs> well, you, you've been on it for a while. It's not just starting. <laughs> 2012. David, <clears throat> comment? 20, 2012 is an interesting time, and whether you're talking in this universal space about the formation of a planet or uh, the destruction in a supernova or the cycle of a human being, it's all the same. We're all inseparable. It's all the same process. It's all a rhythmic interchange. It's all female and male. It's all positive and negative. It goes on and on. Uh, 2012 is going to be the same as any other day except that it will be acknowledged that it has been stated as a day to remember. Uh, it's part of a long series of events that are happening today, and, of course, everything is insidious. We think that there's not too much happening in the world, but, of course, there is a lot happening, and we just don't see it, as I've said before. I do uh, follow the Mayan uh, civilizations. Uh, well read on that, spent some... Uh, long hours with Dr. Carl Kalaman and certainly the Mayans did state that in yeah. this time that there was going to be no time. I think that that is a wonderful premise to hold on to. Uh, if we live in the now and we live in the moment and we don't look at time and we don't forecast and we don't look back but we live in the moment as representing all of it then anything that comes up you grab onto, you reach out to it, and you soak yourself into it, you surrender yourself to it. And I believe that that is what 2012 is all about, along with all of the other um, uh, you know, dates that are coming up, whether it's 2012 or New Year's Day uh, or Election Day, it does not matter. I, from my angle, I look at them with open arms. I look at them with excitement. Uh, the yeah. world is not going to um, uh, come apart. Uh, it's not going to drift off, and we're not going to go anywhere. But certainly with 2012, like any other date in history, we are going to be transformed into amazing human beings, and I can think of nothing else more exciting than that. I love it. I love it. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. I've been... I'm inspired by you both. It's so wonderful. You know, I, I know Carl Kalman very well. I sponsored a workshop of his in New York City many years ago, and uh, we met in India, actually. Um, and um, I was thinking just now, David, as you were speaking of a moment, I, uh, just about a year and a half ago, I was at the United Nations, and uh, Don Alejandro and the other Mayan elders were gathered. A friend of mine helped to put this on. And uh, this very special event. And the grandmothers were there. And um, I, they did their presentations, and it was all very beautiful and um, very special. And uh, I had one question that I asked on Alejandro, one of the Mayan elders. Um, we were always talking about December 21st. 
but could you please tell me about December 22nd? And everybody laughed, and, you know, nobody asked such a question. But he just looked out the window to First Avenue and raised his eyebrows and smiled. And it was a beautiful day. He said, it's going to look like that. Life is going to go on. It's going to carry on. And it's not going to be different just because it's a difference, a change of a cycle that opens up the new cycle. And I really like to remind people of that. This is not a Hollywood event like the films. This is not a commercial activity, although it's become that. It's the movement of cycles through time and through the universe, and it's always been that way. And everything is part of that. And uh, it's just another opportunity for our own greatness and for our own humanity. So I I personally think it's, uh, like really the both of you are saying, a moment of possible triumph for the human race instead of anything else. So I tell Amen. you, uh, if, yeah, same. I'll give you a, a quick example of how this convergence of cycles has manifested into something like a conference about breakthrough energy that is so beautifully balanced between the consciousness message and the technology and science. We have people like Russell Anderson who builds inverse gravity devices in his living room, all the way to Ralph Ring and Marsha who've worked with Otis Carr on thought-controlled vehicles. Isn't this amazing, David, that we have this happening? Oh, God. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is, if I was just going to say, if this conversation is but a small glimpse of what is to come in just this coming weekend, I think we're all going to be having, and all of those who attend, a very special time. So and You better believe uh, you know, my galactic family is going to be watching this whole conference. Oh, yes, exactly. Our galactic family, right? Yeah. So truly. Well, listen, I want to just thank you both from my heart for your commitment to the creation of a better world, to innovation, to living from the heart, and uh, really taking responsibility for the next steps of our uh, human species to keep it alive and growing and, and thriving, really. We have a few things to reverse. It's nice to think of it just that way and uh, be a lot bigger than the problems and um, come up and focus on solutions. So both of you have been a wonderful guest. I just want to thank you both so much for, for joining me today. Thank you very much now, uh, for having us on there. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it, Mitchell and Fernando. It has been a wonderful discussion, and it's a privilege. Thank you. I can't wait wonderful. to see you both in thank person. Thank you, David William Given. Thank you, and... Fernando, I wanted to share a quick closing thought with our audience. Yes. That the the seeds that have been planted by so many beautiful thinkers across history are now flowering. It's inevitable that we're going to step into a forest of breakthrough energy. Exactly, exactly. In fact, David, if you're still there, final words to our audience. Uh, My final thoughts, my final idea, I guess, to infuse is consider love not in the language that we've been used to for hundreds and thousands of years, but 
think of love of the creator of the universe. I look at that as a more pragmatic love, but a love that is absolutely beyond our wildest dreams. And I would finish off mm. by saying, if you can imagine that, if you can hold on to that, then fight for that love. Don't fight for conflict. And anybody who asks me, well, it's it's easier. Which way is it easier? Well, of course, it's easier to have conflict. It's hard to have real a real fight for love. That takes courage. Well, that's the courage that we need today. Fight for love. That's my final. Indeed. Beautiful. Thank you so much, David, for these wise words. I really appreciate both of you. Thanks so much for being on A Better World with me today. And I will Namaste. be seeing you both rather soon. Namaste. Bye-bye. This is Mitchell J. Raven. Bye-bye now. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. Oh, my, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, let me give you the uh, website for this Breakthrough Energy Conference again. It's global, B-E-M dot com, G-L-O-B-A-L-B-E-M dot com. Go to the website and take a look and see what it looks like to you. Okay, and always contact us at our website, www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv, and get on the newsletter, watch our TV show. We're on, we're on. We have archives going back at that website, going back years, at least seven years of interviews, the sung and the unsung heroes of society. So thank you again. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven. We'll be at the conference as it's empty. And it's brief. And I'll see you all next week.